Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the Center for Inflation Research, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 245. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. Yay. The, mo- the more you know. And really, we should probably be on about 250, but we've taken some time off, so. Yeah, we, we, what, we bailed on the last two. Actually, the last one. Um, I don't know. We bailed on a couple over Christmas, it, too. Yeah, the last <laughs> one was my fault, though. We, I had recorded some really great stuff, and I got it back, you, and it was. You, just, you recorded great stuff. You just recorded it badly. Yeah, exactly. The recording was terrible. <laughs> well, we're back. Either way, this is Tom. This is Cash. And this is Scott. And that is it. Yeah, we're we're down to a skeleton crew today. Well, today we're going to talk about depreciated currency markings and the economic hard times where the post office couldn't take American money. That can't what, be true. What, you that, say? That can't be true. <laughs> and was this before or after it became a semi-private company? Oh, way before. Of course. Listen to the, listen to our story, and you shall hear the midnight ride of uh, some people at the federal government and the. Uh, that's the why. That's offices. why no one else is here. Nobody else wanted to talk about money. It doesn't involve so, stamps. So, yeah. so, so we're going to talk about the deep state today. Yeah, there you go. The deep state from the, 1865. <laughs> well, early colonial settlers in the U.S. began writing to their homelands as early as the 1600s. This mail was carried overseas on a ship, either by an individual as a favor or by the captain of the ship who was compensated for his service. Well, I'm glad it wasn't carried by a fish. (laughs) Male fish. Dolphin mail. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be cool. Whale mail. It rhymes. (laughs) Well, you know, on the plus side, there were no stamps, so wouldn't have to worry about those soaking off. Yeah, there you go. Well, in the 1800s, the United States began entering into treaties with other countries to set postal rates to be paid for mail carried to and through each treaty partner. Such mail could be sent prepaid or unpaid with the addressee paying on receipt. Hence the early invention of postage due. And the counter-invention of postal cards and uh, postal codes on the outside of the envelope from the sender to the recipient so that they could refuse the letter and still get the uh, that is true. required uh, they make information. A, they make a note of that in the 1839 Scott's Catalog, if you have a copy of it. <laughs> You're lying. Was, was, he, was he even born then? No, 1839? Yeah, I think you actually, he was, I think, born then. And uh, there's no stamps in it. Well, of course not. <laughs> Well, in the 1860s, international letters known as depreciated currency covers came into being as a result of the inflation caused by the Civil War. 
Congress passed a bill in 1861 to authorize the U.S. Treasury to print and issue demand notes to help finance the debt from the preparations for the approaching Civil War. In 1862, these demand notes were replaced by U.S. currency notes, commonly called greenbacks. Because as one might get from the name, they had big greenbacks. Yep. They were made out of paper. Usually with fancy designs on them. Yes. To prevent counterfeiting. Just as a note, prior to these greenbacks, most currency had blank, unprinted backs. After these greenbacks, almost all currency had printing on both sides. Yeah, and if you go to our site, and I will also post it on Facebook, a couple of the pictures of the greenbacks. Well, that's also a, a good point because the Confederate States, some of their, uh, actually a lot of their currency has a blank back. Almost all of it, and, yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, can tell you whether it's a reproduction or not, is if they have something on the back, uh, very little of it did at the time. Yeah. So therefore, that would um, maybe give you a clue that it might have a see, chance at not being See, I have to look at some of mine because I don't have, quote, Confederate currency, but I do have, like, a bill from the state of Tennessee, that's Confederate and currency. Another yeah. bill, I forget. I don't know if it's Tennessee also, but they both have printing on both sides. Yeah. Uh, you, after a certain point, and I forget what the year is, uh, they did print both sides to, to just cut down on counterfeiting. It was difficult to print a two-sided bill. And it was also a lot more work. Well, people had become accustomed to using metal coins of copper, silver, or gold to transact their business, and they had little confidence in the new greenbacks. As a result, the value of the greenback fell against the value of metal money. This created a crisis in many areas, and in unpaid international mail in particular. If a post office accepted greenbacks for payment of unpaid postage on incoming letters— and then had to pay gold to those countries, the post office lost the difference in value between the gold and the inflated greenbacks. So that's where the deficit started, all the way back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's oh, yeah. just gotten bigger. On April 1st, 1863, the U.S. Post Office issued a circular to postmasters instructing them to only accept gold or silver coin for payments of postage on unpaid mail from many foreign countries. If the individual wanted to pay with greenbacks, he had to pay the amount at the depreciated or inflated currency rate. For example, an unpaid letter from England would be due 24 cents in gold, but, current, but if currency was worth half as much, so the recipient would have to pay double the amount in greenbacks, about 48 cents. It's robbery, I tell you. Man. The ratio of currency to gold peaked at more than two and a half to one in 1864. <clears throat> Depreciated currency covers almost always show two cancels, which make them easy to spot. One cancel when it was posted, like a normal postmark on the cover, but then there was a second packet cancel, which shows the date of entry to the USA in the middle and a large number at the top and at the bottom. Usually, the wording has or US note by the larger number. Really? Yeah, these are interesting. Uh, first of all, the reason why we should we're talking about this is foreign mail covers. You know, they're almost always stampless because they were unpaid. 
So you go to some dealer and you see these stampless 1860s covers and they're, you know, they usually mark them up to like 10 bucks, but sometimes you can find them for $5 or whatever. That is a total misnomer of what these things are worth. If you find a clean one, they can easily be worth $150 to $200 and a nice one minimum is 50 bucks. And the way you find them is that second cancel when it has those two numbers. Like uh, the one that I'm going to show on Facebook, go on Facebook. It has 15 cents at the top and 20 cents at the bottom. This cover, even though it's kind of messy and ugly, is still a $75 cover. And, you know, it was picked up for five bucks out of a person's bin because they didn't know what depreciated currency covers are. This is a cross topic collectible, not just of coin, uh, not just of stamp collectors, but also of coin collectors. So coin collectors, because it it involves the depreciated currency factor. And it involves the greenbacks. Yeah. Covers showing ratios of greater than two to one are not common and are a valuable addition to a collection. To get back to get back to their identification on these covers, the cancels are not only bore the name of the port of entry, but also the nationality of the carrying package ship, like either British or American or Hamburg or Bremen or French. Early depreciated currency covers were canceled with circular cancels enclosing the port of entry the country's packet carrying the cover, and the depreciated currency rating. The gold amount appears at the top of the cancel and the greenback value on the bottom. Again, these cancels were applied at the port of entry. Yeah, and some of them are fantastic looking. You just have to look for them, and they're incredibly cheap. These are things that you can find in a person's stock and really make a score. Well, because this, this the is valuation of, those, of them is This ridiculous. is one of those areas where knowledge is power. Yeah. Knowledge is money. And not and much knowledge. Is, <laughs> and not much knowledge, but uh, also the fact that, you know, not many people do know this. Yeah. So uh, that's also a, a plus. Well, and, this, and we're getting away from the, the topic of stamps and more into the topic of postal history with this, too. Oh, yeah. This all is of flat the, Most out. of these are just all stampless cover stuff. Yeah, well, this is know, flat out postal history. Who, 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 said, who said stamp show here today didn't cover other things? Postal history postal here Postal history here today. <laughs> Later on, these depreciated currency markings changed. They no longer included the amount of the rate in gold. The marking was only in the currency or showed a cancel saying notes or U.S. notes in a straight line cancel. These letters are not worth as much as the dual amount markings. Depreciated currency markings were used on covers into the late 1870s, even though the ratio of the value of currency to gold became small and was finally insignificant because every country was using paper money. Yep. So the inflation was worldwide instead of just U.S. wide. So is this one, the one, one of the things that drove the uh, U.S. Treasury to back their greenbacks with hard metal currency? Yes. Where it says gold certificate or silver certificate or yep. backed by gold, well, things that, like that? It was, a, it was a marketing ploy by the government because uh, in the Confederacy— 
and again, after the war, you know, Northerners and Southerners all talked to each other. In the Confederacy, uh, Confederate notes became basically valueless during the war. Obviously, after the war, they were valueless. But during the war, nobody wanted them. Everybody wanted uh, metal coinage. And U.S. money circulated throughout the South, coinage-wise, because they didn't care where the coin came from. They just cared whether it was silver or gold. And so after the war, all the people in the South, you know, they started talking to the people in the North, and the people in the North are going, oh, yeah, and these greenbacks and uh, people in the South are going, you don't know the half of it. You don't know how bad this can get. And they go, oh, really? Wow, it was that bad? And go, yep. So uh, people started not really um, liking paper money. And it's interesting because uh, I'll put up another picture of the back of one of these green uh, backs. And we'll, I'll compare it to a $20 bill that I'm holding in my hand right here. But on the back of the greenback, it says, this note is legal tender for all debt, public and private, except duties on imports and interest on the public debt and is receivable in payment of all loans made by the U.S. government. But the greenback was not usable for imports and the government didn't want you to pay interest on their public debt in greenbacks. They didn't want the money they were doing, uh, issuing. Now the uh, $20 bill I'm holding here to the left of, uh, Andrew Jackson's head, it says specifically, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. So period, period, period. Yeah. No, nothing about, you know, and not for interest and not for foreign stuff. Now, I have something that, that has always bothered me. This is good for all debts, public and private. You're talking a $20 bill, but let's say we're talking a $50 or $100 bill. Mm-hmm. Fast food places that say no bills higher than 20 accepted, can they legally do that? I ha- he, This is just from what I have heard. I haven't seen the backup of it is that they can do that. You can't pay your, you know, your car loan in pennies. However, the federal government must accept it. So you can pay your property taxes in pennies. And, you know, there's famous stories of people going to the DMV when they're pissed off and paying in pennies and stuff. It's absolutely legal except that you cannot incur the expense on private companies. So, yeah, it is kind of a... Handing somebody a $50 bill to pay for 18 bucks in food because I don't have a 20 is not incurring additional expense upon them to make change for a $50 bill. Well, it would be if, like, you were the first transaction in the morning and they didn't have 40 or 30 bucks in their till to give cash or to cash your bill, but well, then that's poor business. And yeah, the, I, I was just going to say that. And that's why I got tongue tied is, I'll you know, tell you, every time I've taken a table, I've made sure that I had at least $350 and you know, most of the stuff I sell is, you know, two, three, five, ten $10, but I still made sure I'd always have at least 
$350 and change well, available. Well, that's a lot. Well, but you never know. You know, guy comes up and he buys a $5 cover and he hands you 100 <laughs> And so do the two guys after him. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, and I, now you're 15 uh, minutes into the show and all your money's gone. I do. And, you know, I have the boxes that I take to the stamp shows. And I have a uh, basically a nice looking shoe box, but it always has thirty one dollar bills in it because you that's where you lose sales is with your one dollar bills because people will buy a dollar item. Yeah, and if they buy and a give, fifty and cent give, and give you a twenty dollar bill for that dollar, yeah, item. a fifty cent item, you just say, hey, buy another item, and they go, okay, I understand that they take you know two fifty cent items, but they will buy a dollar and say, here, you know, here's a twenty. That's when I, there's there's my new my new scheme. I'm just gonna open up a, a change station at a stamp show. <laughs> <laughs> Got ten dollars. Need to roll the quarters. <laughs> yep. Well, as a non sequitur to talking about stamp shows and uh, money, I got an email from a person uh, from Ed. And uh, he says, thank you for your request. Er, he forwarded to me an email. There is a website out there and you can do a search for it where you can try to find the value of your stamps. And what it is, is you enroll in this program, $20 a month or $4 per upload. So he paid the $20 a month. He uploaded uh, well, what did he send me here? One, two, three, four, five, six. He uploaded six stamps. And all the stamps came back as the highest possible variety. Uh, per Scott number. Per Scott number. So I'm assuming he sent you stamps that had multiple uh, different elements besides the design, like different watermarks, different perforations, things he like He sent that. in a one-cent Washington green stamp. Of which series? Of uh, the uh, Washington Franklin hit. Washington Franklin's, okay. So you, you know there's a lot of those. There's a zillion of them. So they determined that it was a perf 12 by 10, and the approximate value is 5000 to $6,800. <laughs> and perf 12 by perf 10 in a picture. You know, you can tell if the side perfs are really big and the top perfs are really small. This one... Didn't look at all like that. It was a perf 11. It was a number 498, right? 498. 499. 499. But they... Oh, one cent. Yes, The one cent, 498. Uh, then they had another one where... And I have no clue how they did this. They saw another stamp, and they said, it's perf 10 at the bottom worth approximately $30,000. And of course, it wasn't perf ten at the bottom. So these guys are just sending BS information. These two stamps. The guy goes, "Wow, I have thirty five thousand dollars worth of stamps. I should contact somebody." Well, here at PSE, we basically identify stuff for free if you send us a picture. And you know, you'll send us a picture, and we'll say, "Yeah, you send that in because I need more information," or "Nah, that stamp's worth twenty five cents." And that's what these stamps were. Anyway, so he paid 20 bucks, and he got a list of stamps that I think this isn't the complete list that I have my hand on right here. You can't see it, but maybe you can hear me patting it. Um, 
He had about $50,000 worth of stamps. Did he have a 613? He had nothing. <laughs> Did he have but, a 596? Yeah, the uh that's a funny thing. He didn't no they didn't say that he had a 596. Really? Yeah. So that's the one that But he had a 594. But he had a 594. <laughs> it is so uh you can go ahead and search but if any website says send me 20 bucks and I'll identify your stamps and uh these guys uh, probably are speaking with a Russian accent. Well that's that's one of the reasons why just have just uh, IDing a stamp off of an image is so difficult. It's because you can't watermark a a picture. You can't. Uh, sometimes you can tell perforation differences on a picture, but Wait, sometimes if, you can't. If I pour lighter fluid on my monitor, it won't work. <laughs> uh, we have to pour it on the keyboard. Hold it up to the light. <laughs> you have to pour it on the keyboard. And then press enter a bunch of times and see if I can get a spark. It, it and is not responsible for the resulting fire. Yes. So my response to him was, "Who are these guys? Did you pay them?" And the answer back was yes. He paid him twenty bucks or nineteen ninety five for a one year subscription. He, he, he or, excuse better me, ask a one for his month. money back. Oh it, well, I, well. Good no, luck he, in getting he, it. He, They're he, in Russia. I mean, literally, they are a Russian organization. Potentially. But, uh, allegedly. Potentially. allegedly, 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 they are Russians. Yes. The site who will not be named. Who, who yes. can tell by their web address anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Or the fact that they said that uh, one of their people was uh, from a certain area. Not in the U.S. Not Yeah, not U.S. We'll call it Eastern Europe. Yeah. So, far Eastern Europe. Far Eastern. F- the southern part of Far Eastern Europe. <laughs> Potentially in the Ural Mountains. Yes. <laughs> But we're not mentioning any names. <laughs> so be aware that this this site is out there. Um, and, and it's probably not the only one. And honestly, if you're listening to this po- podcast, you know about stamps, so you're not going to use them. But it is an interesting thing to know that these sites are out there. And the site is flashy. It's, a really it's nice always, fun. You it's always actually... fun to hear about a stamp collector that has a little bit of extra money in his pocket and says, I'm just going to check this out because I want to you know. know. You know yeah. you what know, would be funny? You know what you should do? You should send it to the APS. Oh, they'll probably put out send, a... send their name to the APS and see if they'll put out like a like a membership bulletin or something. Oh, like if warning. they look into it, don't yeah. use this, don't pay these people money or something. Well, the thing is that this site... And it's a worldwide site. It lists everything worldwide. Um, If you are at all a stamp collector, if you know anything about stamps, you would kind of know not to use these guys. But that's probably not their market. Yeah, I'm sure it isn't. And if you have something like that, the APS will put something like that on their website. Well, because actually, I take it back. If you don't know anything about stamps and you happen to be in the United States... And you just type in something about philately or stamp collecting in general. Probably or, one of your top hits is always going to be the APS site. Yeah, that is true. If it's not going to be an expertizing service or potentially a U.S. dealer, so you know someone like have if someone like the APS would put this on their site, you'd get you'd catch a lot of say people who inherited collections that yeah. aren't stamp collectors. Yeah. They might yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's worthwhile. 
I don't know. Maybe we should charge 20. <laughs> I, I find it abhorrent that these guys were charging 20 bucks. And then it, it's one thing to say, thank you for your $20. Here are the possibilities, but basically you don't have anything. Versus here is thousands, tens of thousands of dollars that your stamps can potentially be. And no, it's they're like, not really even saying no, potentially be, are they? They're saying it is. Well, hold on. I will read. I will read it to you, dear Ed, and I'll leave off his last name. Thank you for your request. According to our experts, you have colon. Here are four valuable varieties. Looks like you're used. So you know it's okay. Keep that, reading. Your used Washington one cent stamp. Watermark single line UPS compound perf twelve by by ten approximate value five thousand to six thousand eight hundred dollars. Number two, see they watermarked it. They watermarked unwatermarked it. perf eleven, but perf ten at the bottom approximate value thirty thousand dollars. Number three, unwatermarked perf eleven image size nineteen by twenty two point five approximate value three thousand seven hundred fifty. What would that be? No, that's five. It sounds like a five ninety four. Yeah, I think I think that's the five ninety four. Yes, and uh, the last one, unwatermarked, perf eleven image size, nineteen and a half by twenty by twenty two millimeter, approximate value two hundred ten dollars. To check your stamps, you need to check watermark, measure perforations, measure image size. If these categories, but, but their experts all did that, didn't they? Yeah, well, that's what it <laughs> says. And again, he got this list of these are the items. And it's like, if, you know, well, you could uh, just double check everything and uh, find out that it's common. Yeah, but if it's not, then you have no idea what it is because it's not what they told you it is. Yeah. So it's hard to say. However, the one is, so he sent me all the stamps. Oh, they're they're buying their way out. It's, I'd say you don't have the end of the article, the email. If these characteristics will not match to dot dot dot. Yeah, no, they they cover themselves, but they are they're not identifying anything. They are literally not identifying anything. And if you keep reading, it just basically you know is there so a disclaimer? Here's here's my question: If you send them four one cent. Franklin or Washington's from the Washington Franklin series. Will they give you four different catalog numbers with different prices or will they give you four of the same stamp? That is an interesting thing. Yeah. You can ask Ed if he wants to submit four more images. Yeah. Since he, since he already sure, paid the 20 sure, bucks for I'm a sure year. Ed may, well, no, that's for a month. Oh, I thought he said it was for a no, year. He no, 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 it's for a month. Yeah. 20 bucks a month. Well, if it's been more than a month, I hope he didn't renew. <laughs> pay, tw- pay 20 bucks a month and send him like 5,000 images. Yeah, I'm sure. This was November 13th, so I'm sure his... Uh... Well, if he's smart, he did not renew. Wonderful dead air. Are we waiting for something? Uh, Cal- uh, Cash is clicking through the I'm, I'm website. Cl- I'm clicking through the website, and it's giving me a pop-up that's forcing me to go and uh, do okay. Chrome. Nope. There, uh, that is that is weird. Okay, so now if you try to click on the site, it gives you a bunch of uh, weird stuff that probably infecting my computer right now. More than likely. Yeah. 
Anyway. Oh, uh, there is a little side note to it. Um, he sent me all the stamps and they were all cheap. You know, the, the entire thing was worth maybe like a dollar. Maybe. But he had the Yorktown stamp. Yeah. And he had the color variety. Oh, nice. Now, it was heavily hinged, but it still had a catalog value of 300 bucks. So at least it paid for his return postage. Yeah. But we gave him that information for free. These guys didn't even catch attempt it. to catch it. Yeah. yeah. Well, as far as currency depreciation, I suppose that's it. I think we've depreciated ourselves fully here. Well, you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 245. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.